everybody. Welcome to the Book Leads Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jeremillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that my network, uh, they're out there reading that have made an impact in their development and their leadership, their personal life. Everything crosses from one arena to the other. So I want to get to those books. And these are great leads that I'll be interviewing to hear about those books. I want to know what's contributed the most to the value that they're bringing to their world, whether they are a business owner, whether they are an executive, whatever it may be. And the way that I do it is that I interview uh, my guests on three categories, a book that uh, I haven't read that they're schooling me on, a book that we've both read, whether specifically for the episode or that we've read in our previous lives. And then the third category is talking to the author or publisher who wants to get their message out there. So for today, I am going to have an author on the conversation with me. And my guest today is Chris Felton. And Chris is an uh, Amazon best-selling author, seven-figure entrepreneur, and owns a financial services firm, which he started in 1999. Chris leads and trains 200 agents across the U.S. as they have helped over uh, 17,000 clients, and he's achieved top 1% status in a company of 60,000 agents. He's been featured in U.S. News and World Report, MarketWatch, Yahoo Finance, and NASDAQ, just to name a few. As an international speaker and best-selling author, Chris is committed to sharing his story and lessons learned from being on the brink of financial ruin and divorce to building one of the most successful financial services firms in the country. He speaks on stages to audience of over 20,000 and appears on top podcasts such as The Ed Milet Show, reaching millions of listeners around the world. Now, Chris reached out after having heard this podcast. We got to talking, learned a little bit about each other, the work that we do. Here we are. I wanted to have him on for this conversation, all things books, the work that he's doing around the world. How can I resist talking to somebody and picking their brain when they have that kind of experience and, and value that they provide for their audiences and, and guests for this show? So, Chris, thank you for joining me. John, awesome to be here, brother. Thanks for having me. Um, Chris, before we get started, I usually want to know, uh, I read your bio, impressive. Uh, I can tell you're somebody that enjoys what they're doing. Why don't we get a little more to who you are today, the specifics of your day in, day out work? Who is it that you are today? What is it that you're delivering for your clients? Yeah, I, I, uh, John, I've been a financial services entrepreneur for for 24 years and, uh, you know, author, speaker, um, <laughs> lots of podcasts. Um, and, you know, I'm 51. I'm in Colorado. And, um, you know, my uh, my main goal is to make an impact. That's that's it. So when I turned 50, I realized I wasn't going to get out of this thing alive. <laughs> it sounds it sounds funny, but it was actually really the first time I'm like, wait, other people die and so can you. <laughs> so what are you going to do about it? And uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of where the book came from. And then, you know, my whole thing is whether it's, you know, around money, uh, you know, financial services, entrepreneurship, you know, just being a human, uh, people get really stuck and they stay stuck. And my goal is to help tens of millions of people get unstuck and get back on the path of the life that they, uh, they deserve. So that's, you know, so that's, that's my purpose, man. And everything I do is, uh, is to bring that value. And that's, that's why I'm, that's why I'm here today is to hopefully uh, make an impact to your, uh, your audience. So when you say, when you got to 50, it hit you, was it something in particular that triggered that idea that kind of maybe not pivot, but that maybe awakening as, you know, just from what you're telling me, what I call it an awakening. What was it something that stood out that made your head turn and say, you know, exactly what you just shared? 
Yeah, I mean, it was just, I, I don't know, just a magic number. It, it really hasn't ever been, you know, about a number for me. Um, but when I hit 50, it, like it really was, I, I don't know what it was. It just was like, I was sitting there and it was, you know, I, I, I did the hardest work on the planet, which is actually think. And it's like, I don't know, man, it just hit me. Uh, whether it's a hand of God moment or an insight, it was just like, you're not going to be here forever. Yeah. And so <laughs> what are you going to do about it? And, and then I was, you know, I was depressed for a little bit. Um, but I actually write it in my book. It's one of, one of the most requested chapters of, you know, you're, you're too young to be old. Um, and, and right about that time, I have, uh, I have an angel in my business who, uh, periodically she just sends me stuff and it was, it was actually a, a study and it was, uh, you actually enter your prime when you're 60, 60. Thank God. Yeah. 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 Thank God. You know? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Cause I, I've talked about it on here where it's like, I, I consider myself a late bloomer in the work that I'm doing. Like I just couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden hit my stride, realized it. Um, and there's a benefit to that. Cause by the time you get to it, you just have all this energy seeking it out that when you get to it, you just, you hit it hard. You hit the ground running, you put all your passion into it. Uh, and even looking back, I don't think I would change anything about the way that I came into what I'm doing. So, um, it's interesting. You mentioned that now, did this happen before the pandemic, during the pandemic, not to age you with a little bit of math, but you said 50. Yeah, no, happen- it's August, August, 2021, some 51. And, um, so we are kind of coming out of that, but, but, but basically the, the studies like, you know, you, your, your most productive years, 60 to 70, your next productive 70 to 80. And then your third is 50 to 60 and average age of a CEO is 62 average age of a pastor, the top 100 churches in the United States is 71 average age of a Pope is 76. So, so I read that and I was like instantly energized. And let me, let me just give you a little story here. Cause sure, it's, sure, it's, sure. it's super, super, and it's actually the story in the book, but <laughs> it was, um, so I read that I felt in- instantly energized. And then, you know, I-, I started sharing it with people that were, you know, 55, 65. And then I had a really good friend who uh, he- he's just a rock star. I mean, he's been a mutual fund manager for years. He's just a stud. And I was talking to him. He's 55. And this was about a year ago. And he just he just retired, so to speak. And I'm talking to him and, and he-, he started sounding old. He's like. Well, Chris, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm like, dude, I'm like, shut the hell up. I'm going to send this over to you and read it and then call me back. And he yeah. was instantly energized. So, so, so last part of this is, so I was in, I was in, uh, in Dallas is February, 2021. And I was the, the closeout speaker the next day. And there's about 1500 financial advisors there and probably 75% of the room, John over 55. Right. And so I got called up on a panel the night before and I was like, what am I going to talk about? And then it just insight hit me and I'm like, huh, I'm going to talk about this. And so I go to the crowd. I'm like, how many of you are over the age of 50? 1,500 people, dude. And I heard, Woo. like literally <laughs> two people Yeah. read the study. Everybody goes nuts. I'm in the reception afterwards. Everybody's coming up to me, email that to me, text that to me. 
And then the next day, you know who Sharon Lecter is? Yeah, yeah, I heard the name. Yeah, yeah. Sharon Lecter basically is like kind of the backbone to all of Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad books. Like Sharon's easily in her mid seventies, and she was the closeout speaker the next day. She was not there the night I talked about the study. She brings that study up in a PowerPoint halfway through her talk. Same exact study. Not knowing that you did it the night before. Not knowing. And she goes, how many of you are the age of 50? And like everybody gets up, goes nuts. Yeah. And she's like, I've never gotten that reaction before. Anyway, I I, I want to take you through that because I've never seen something shift people's paradigms so quick in my 24 years of being an entrepreneur. Now, Chris, did that study give some insight or maybe they had some qualitative information from the people that they studied? Did they have any insight or provide any ideas as to why that might be the case? That it is those two older decades and then 50 to 60, I think you said, was third place. Did they give any idea as to why that might be the case, the way that it's it's ranked? Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I... I, uh, I mean, I just kind of added my own personal experience. Not, not really. Um, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, for me is, you know, I mean, my kids are 21 and 18, like they, they don't need me very much. Yeah. Right. And they're, they're off to college. My, my oldest is graduating in two days. And so, you know, I don't have that. I mean, it's, I don't want to call it a distraction, but it distracts yeah. you off of your purpose <laughs> of your business or whatever you want to do. Um, you know, the older you get, John, you could care two shits what other people think about you, right? Like <laughs> that's that's where like, my mind went. Those yeah. two areas you just said, where it's kind of like your kids are out of the house. There's no let's call it what it is, distractions. You know, it takes energy. I love my kids to death to death, but it takes energy to maintain them and make sure they're not hurting themselves and whatnot. You get that out of the house, and then as you get older, you don't give a fuck anymore. You know what I mean? You 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 realize that now, my age, you realize it at your age. But when I think the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned when I hit 50, I realized, you know, I'm not going to be around, you know, um, for an, uh, an extended period of time that I might as well get to whatever, you know, you thought yourself. But you'd start thinking about your mortality. You know what I mean? And there's a little more urgency to it. I mean, that's that's just my take just based on what you've shared. Yeah. And, you know, and, and a lot of stuff about, you know, in my book is, um, you know, it's not time management, it's energy management. And, you know, and, and when I was going, like I was 50, I was like, I'm like, God, I'm like, I actually feel better at 50 than I did at 30. Like yeah. I actually have so much energy because I don't, I don't have a tremendous amount of emotional leaks yeah. Um, because I've worked so hard on, on that stuff, you know? And so I'm like, God, I'm, I'm at my best. I got great energy. I'm as good as I probably ever have been. Um, you know, I mean, I still got stuff I got to work on and I don't course, have it all figured out. And I best, I'm, I'm definitely clear in my book. I, I'm not a guru that's got it all figured out. I'm a, I'm a miracle and a mess at the same time, as I say, but, um, <clears throat> but you know, just, not getting caught up in that, you know, that, that, that societal paradigm is, you know, was transformational. And, and I shifted pretty quick on it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I got time, I got energy, I got focus. I'm probably more purpose driven than I've ever been. And yeah, why the hell not? Why, I'm going to do my best work the next 30 years of my life.
Yeah, I think uh, I think it's just that those formative years when you're you know late teens, college, early career, you're looking for the path, and then when you finally get on that path, you can focus on that path. You know, you're not spending energy looking and searching. You're you're spending that, like you said, using your energy. Um, how that's a paradigm of what what your book is about is using that energy correctly. But you get to the point, you're like, okay, now this is what I can focus on. Now I'm not wasting my energy. Now I can kind of zero in, focus it in, and target it. So, yeah, it makes complete sense. And I think I had read about that study for so. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. Now to, to understand you a bit more, can you tell me a little more about um, you know, not every day since then, but like your your childhood leading into like your professional life? What did that look like? What what path did you start down? Was it education that um that was that did it for you that set the tone for who you were? Was it family? Was it relationships? Was it serendipity by chance? What was it that put you on the path? Not necessarily to now, because I know life sort of zigzags, but what where did you start out and, and how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, I mean I, I two two great parents, but you know, their their marriage didn't last, tons of financial stress. Um, my dad was uh, I mean just the king of self-sabotage, um, which, you know, helped me tremendously uh, as I, as I witnessed that. And, uh, you know, they said, go to school, get good grades. Everything's going to be sunshine, lollipops and roses. So I went to not, not, not the greatest student, but went to Colorado state university and, uh, got an accounting degree and then went, moved to Denver in 1993 and then, uh, got, you know, got my CPA and uh, spent seven years with, uh, what was then the largest accounting firm in the world at that time called Arthur Anderson. And, uh, they were a great firm until they ran into Enron. And, uh, <clears throat> and I left about the year before that kind of blew up. Um, but you know, they taught me pr how to be proactive. Um, they, they taught me, I mean, I was, you're kind of an entrepreneur, right. In that yeah. organization, um, you're responsible for your clients and, uh, you get a W2, but you know, you're on the hook for whether stuff works or not. So, credible breeding ground for leadership and, and, you know, being proactive and running at your capacity. And, and I had a great work ethic and was on the partner track and then met my, my first wife, um, there and she kind of got me, you know, woke up to maybe there's other things. And, uh, I started, you know, I looked to the guy that was 15, 20 years ahead of me and I didn't want his life. <laughs> I didn't want his four divorces and his kids hating him. And, you know, he's making multiple seven figures, but his life is pretty bad. His health sucked. And I was very easily going on that path. So I went on an entrepreneurial journey looking and then uh, landed on uh, the, the company, you know, the, the business I started kind of moonlighting 1999. I was working 70 hours a week as a CPA and then doing my investment advisory financial services business for 10 or 15 hours a week and then launched February 2000 and uh, uh, then, you know, was married for about four years and went through expensive divorce and uh, she picked up the kids. They were super young, moved to Atlanta, Georgia and uh, met my second and last wife, Marlo. <laughs> when we're still together. Yeah. And she walked into a financial shit show. She didn't know it existed. So, you know, here's a CPA, here's a financial advisor, um, you know, pretty smart. 
uh, but was totally broke, laid down in my divorce because I felt so guilty about it. Um, had signed a stupid office lease, 6,000 square feet that I couldn't afford. Um, so I'd accumulated $250,000 of credit card debt. Um, we're entering the great recession. Uh, the only good thing I did is I handed the money control over to Marlo, my, my wife. Um, but basically kind of the bottoming out, this is kind of the, the, the turning point in my life, um, was I had to pay my ex-wife $5,200 at the beginning of every month and I was out of options. And so I had to come home and uh, the ultimate closer here <laughs> convinced my wife to give me her savings to pay my ex-wife. <laughs> Didn't go too well. And <clears throat> so we call it the purse throwing incident. So she got so pissed, she picked up her 20 pound purse and not only threw it at me once, but picked it up and threw it again and threw it again and threw it again. And we, John basically had the, the fight, the falling out of our lives and she had had enough. And then I asked, well, if you've had enough, why are we still together? Why are we still married? And she went upstairs to go figure that out. And then there I was by myself and all I could see were dominoes falling. And it was, my kids hadn't seen me for months because I couldn't afford to go see them. I'm a car out of there in Atlanta. Um, it became very apparent to me that my first wife really never had a chance in that marriage. I was going to blow that thing up no matter what. I was going to find a way to sabotage it. Um, the financial situation, the financial stress, like physically impacting Marlo. Um, I was drinking a ton. And there I was, I was like, huh, there's one common theme to everything here. And it's me. Yeah. And right then and there, I'm like, dude, you got to quit living in hopium. Right. Hopium yep. is hope, hoping the outside world changes while I fiercely insist on staying the same and you got to change. And so right then and there, first time in my life, I took 100% responsibility for the shit show. And my wife and I came together the next day and she's like, uh, we're staying married. We're not getting divorced. Uh, we're not declaring bankruptcy. We're not getting jobs. Uh, I'm going to, we had wealthy mentors. Thank God. She's like, I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to figure out what they do, how they think. Um, and we wrote a book that came out of that called couples money that we published wow. about, about 12 years ago. And she said, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how this brain of mine keeps creating stuck and broke. And I'm not interested in changing. I'm committed to changing. And as you know, John, being a coach, most people are interested in a great life. Mm. And if you're interested, you'll always find excuses and reasons not to be, if you're committed it's totally different. And why my wife said, well, what does committed mean? I'm like, you know how an Olympic athlete treats their sport? Exactly. That's, that's me. She's like, what does that look like? I'm like, I'm up at four 30. I'm going to go to the mental gym every single day. I'm going to read, visualize image. I'm going to pull out every limiting belief, put it under a microscope, shift it. If you would have told me to stand on my head for a freaking hour, if it was going to change my life, I was going to do it. 
And uh, it's one of my favorite quotes of Mel Robbins. She said, uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. And what happened to us, John, is we had a, a, a jaw-dropping um, financial transformation. We took our income up five times. We, you know, became financially free. And, um, and, and the best part about it, not just the financial, but me personally, I had transformation in uh, all areas of my life. Yeah, it's incredible when you see examples that stand out where you make that realization that there's a very big difference between being interested in something, wanting something, saying that, you know, that's what I want, that's what I desire, and committing to it. Um, again, it seems like a very simple breakdown, interest versus commitment, but it makes all the difference in the world because you can talk the talk, but are you going to walk the walk and live it? Um, I. It, it almost seems, Chris, like it has to be a part of you. You know, there is no separation. Like you have to live it. You have to breathe it. That to me is what commitment looks like. Yeah. Well, it's just, uh, you know, I, I have a, <laughs> I'm very fortunate to have some amazing mentors. And I got a mentor that uh, and he's a self-made billionaire. And uh, he just is like, are you all in? Yeah. Are you all in? Right. Just like the poker the poker player putting all his chips to the middle and uh and that was me and i'm like all, i'm all in i'm like i'm gonna change my life or or else and uh you know it's and napoleon hill calls it the burning of the ships or whatever um my back was against the wall and you know and the reason i put the book out is i don't want people to get to that point where their back is against the wall yeah I, yeah, I want them to to get intentional about changing their lives now, so they don't have to get to that point uh, and experience so much pain that that's what moves you forward. Chris, obviously, I'm a leadership coach, and I'm always curious um, about my guests. What um and well, first of all, was it just the couples book, and then the book we're going to be discussing? Was it just those two books that you put out? Okay. Um, I always ask my guests what uh, what does leadership mean to you? What does that look like? Yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, I mean, leadership. I mean, I, I think first and foremost, it's it's leadership of self, right? Because I, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs, and like, well, nobody's following me, and I'm like, well, because you can't lead yourself. Like, do do you trust you? You know, would you follow you? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I mean, you know, going along the lines of being a miracle on a mess. Um, I make mistakes just like everybody else, but you know, I always want to feel like I'm on it personally. Like I'm on the case, uh, you know, I'm, I'm buttoned up, so to speak, meaning, you know, I, I can control what I can control. So not being a control freak, I'm not a control freak, but I'm a control freak about what I personally can control. Yeah. And most people die the death of a thousand cuts and it's just these little leaks. And so, I don't want my lack of preparation to be the reason that things don't happen. So first and foremost, it's leading you, right? And the way you lead yourself is in the way you increase confidence. And it's, it's actually a chapter in my books. People always come to me like, what do I need to do? What is it? What are all these 25 things? I'm just like, keep your word. Now, do I always keep my word? No. Predominantly? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I always do a social media post 
the beginning of the year. I'm like, yeah, you all got your 25 goals and all that garbage you got going on. But here's what you got to do this year. Just keep your word. Do what you say you're going to do. And when you don't do it, then be the first one to fess up. Don't go hide. Um, So so first is leading you. Mm -hmm. And as you lead you, you attract others. And then for me, leading others, it's basically getting people to move forward and do things that they wouldn't otherwise do without you and moving people forward for their reasons. Yeah. I like that. Thank you for that definition. Now, um, yeah, let's jump into your book. If you could introduce it and um, just give us a little backstory on what the impetus was for, for writing it. I mean, I can glean from your story what it was, but what was like the, the actual trigger that you pulled to actually get that, that written? Yeah. Well, c- kind of, it's good. We started with, uh, you know, when I turned 50 and it was kind of, okay, what do you want to do? And it was impact. And then it was like, okay, let's, what's, what's the impact? Well, it's, it's 10 million or more people's lives. Right. And, um, and, and so right about, or it was about 90 days after that, I had a good friend in the company. We were the same age and he went from healthy to having a stroke to dying in seven days. And dude, it really impacted me. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And then right about that time, um, a good friend of mine, have you heard of Steve Siebold? No. Yeah. Written some of the best personal development books on the planet. Um, he's, he's got the longest running study of self-made millionaires and billionaires. He's interviewed over 1300 over the last 30 years. So he wrote a book called 177 mental toughness secrets of the world class absolute mandatory read. Um, anyway, and he's, he's been a seven figure speaker forever. Anyway, so he reached out to me in November and he said, dude, I've been listening to you speak for years. You need to write a book. And he's like, it's going to be your content, but I'm going to teach you how to write a book that is impactful, that flows, that, you know, is going to make an, and he's like, I've sold, you know, three, 4 million books, whatever it is. And if I had to go back in time, I would add my personal story to everything I taught. And he's like, but I can't do that. Yeah. But we're, we're not going to make that mistake with you. So we're, but we're going to, we're going to have to bleed this thing out, dude. There's no, these write a book in 30 day BS things, right? Like you, you, we got to bleed this thing out. Um, and he's like, and actually what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to write 50 stories first. And then you're going to develop your content around that. Okay. So, so basically wrote, you know, and it's, it's kind of my, my journey. Um, and it's, you know, the problem I solve is stuck. That's what the problem is. And so people get stuck. And one of my favorite quotes is it's okay to get stuck. It's not okay to stay there. And, um, so there's, so, so that was it. So we spent, we spent nine months on the first draft Right. I mean, we just and then Steve grabbed it in the fourth draft and he's a master writer. He spent 25 hours on the fourth draft, um, just making sure there wasn't a word out of place. And uh, so. So, yeah, man, that's that's it. So I came out February 28th. We hit Amazon bestseller in two categories, we hit number two in Canada. Um, and, uh, the, the response has been, uh, amazing because one of our main objectives that he said, he's like, Chris, I've done probably 2000 book signings 
And the predominant feedback I get from people that love my book is it's simple, Mm. simple to read, simple to apply. And he's like, that's going to be our first parameter. And then we got to make sure that it's authentic and that uh, you share the good and the bad and the ugly of your life. And, uh, and we, and we've, we, we achieve those two objectives. So it's awesome. Chris, when he says that he's, he had been watching you, um, seeing you speak for years, I guess I missed that part of it. How did you make the jump from the work you were doing to speaking to get to that platform? Um, so, so our, our company has about 62,000 licensed agents. And so, you know, I've been a top quarter of 1% performer in that for quite a while. So I've been fortunate to be in front of a lot, a lot of large crowds, and and when I get come asked to come in and speak to the financial entrepreneurs in our company, they always want me to talk on mindset. They always want me to talk on mentality and the stuff that's in the book. So Steve has been a vendor and a speaker and a coach to that entire organization for fifteen years. So we often you know, we're at the same events together. So he, he experienced, um, you know, my content that way. All right. So now jumping into the book, if you could introduce the book and then just kind of how, how you structured it and how you get the the message in there. Yeah. So the reason I wrote the book, John was, you know, having been an entrepreneur for 24 years and a human <laughs> for 51 years, yeah. I know, I know what it's like to get stuck. I know what it's like to live in fear, doubt, and worry. Um, I know what it feels like when you feel like you're doing everything possible, but nothing changes at all. (laughs) It's a very frustrating place to be. And having been a coach, and you can attest to this, John, it's, it's hard for me as a coach to watch people get so stuck that they feel that quitting on their goals, dreams, and aspirations is really the only way out. Yeah. And I can empathize with that so strongly because I was really close to doing that, but I didn't. And that was when my back was up against the wall. And I just said, I got to grow and change and I got to be intentional about it. And I got to think, I got to, I got to dial in how my thinking's creating my results. And so, you know, I invested tens of thousands of dollars in personal growth and development and coaches I invested thousands of hours studying this stuff. Um, And so I wrote the book because part of my process was, you know, books shifted me, man. They got me to think different. They got me out of my stuck, stuck ruts, my stuck past. So I really want it to be a resource that people can invest, you know, 22 bucks in the book. Um, I'm getting, you know, I'm shooting a a deep dive uh, course here in the next couple of weeks People can invest, you know, a few hundred bucks in that and invest a micro fraction of what I did, hopefully invest less time and get better results. And so the problem it solves is stuck. And there's basically five pillars in the book. There's 50 concepts. That's, you know, it's a concept. It's two to three hundred words of my point of view. People have probably heard it before, but most books stop there, right? And then it's a, it's a quote, and then it's a, a resource, a, a book, a podcast, a technology I use to change my life. Then there's an action step that I took to shift. And then there's my personal story that backs up what I'm teaching. 
and the flow of that story usually is I was a dumbass. I woke up to being a dumbass. I decided to do something different to get different results. And then here's the result I got. And so that's kind of the flow. And therefore people are like, Oh, Chris is just like me, which I am. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's very relatable and authentic and it gives people hope and it's bite size. It's impactful and it gives people something to grab onto. So there's five pillars. One is the first pillar, get out of your own way. So there's, you know, eight to 10 concepts there. Get out of your own way, which is how do we get in our own way? How do we sabotage ourselves? How do we unconsciously keep doing the same stuff that makes us feel like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day? Okay. So it's the whole know thyself, right? And so that awareness. And then the second pillar is what do I do to actually shift? Right? What's what's the shifting that causes me to break that pattern and and, and consciously, you know, shift. Um, third is relationships. Everything we want in life comes from and through people. And so that has to work. The fourth is actual game planning that my coach, world-class guy for four and a half years, he said, Chris, you're a great goal setter. You are a horrific goal achiever. Um, <laughs> and so like, yeah. here's, here's the action steps, the action plan around it. Um, and then the, the last one is, you know, really the dream, the clarity, the, you know, what do I want? Why do I want it? And, you know, the preeminent law that overrides all personal growth and development is the law of growth. And what you focus on expands. End of story. Everything in personal growth and development is, get you, is, is to dial you into focusing on what you want. And so how did I create world-class focus? to go achieve the results anyway so that's those are the five pillars no that's amazing are there any can you give maybe two or three examples of stories um maybe standouts maybe they're examples you've given before in different interviews that you've uh had the opportunity to share with others are there stories that do stand out that you can share um just to kind of give a flavor for um or paint a picture of those pillars in action yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the first the first one is I mean, people don't know what they want, dude. Like they just don't know. They and and like I said, it's it's the most probably the most beat up topic in personal growth and development. You got to know your why. What do you want? <laughs> what right? And and and, and I it and, is, but you know what? A it bears repeating. Well, it bears repeating because I don't think people know what that actually means to know your why. I think they look maybe to societal standards. Oh, this is my why. I got to have yeah. this or I got to have this big house or I got to have all these cars. They don't look internally and really figure it out. Yeah. And then B, I think it's important to keep hearing it from different authors and specialists and experts because each of you has your own individual stories that drive those lessons home. Yeah. Well, you're right. It, it, I mean, it's it's a it's a horse that's beaten to hell. Yeah, it's it's beaten up. And what I'm saying is you got to do something about it. Right. And and so that's that's why I love the book. The way it's set up is, all right, this is a challenge. And here's. Well, shit, here's a here's an actual way I can implement it that Chris is talking about. And oh, here's a story. That, that proves that he's just not, you know, reading 12 books and throwing it back up into his version of a book. 
So I think that's, you know, I think my point of view, not once again, not, not that I'm all that in a bag of chips, but my point of view is unique and refreshing, I think is why it's, it's, it's landing. But anyway, but on this whole clarity thing, you know, cause, cause I, I'd hear it and I'd be like, Oh, I got, I gotta get clear. Oh yeah. I take notes and then I'd walk out of the conference and a squirrel would run past my path. And I'm like, all right, wait, I got to go chase that squirrel <laughs> first. Once I catch I'll get, the squirrel. I'll get to my notes later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. once I catch the squirrel, or yeah. as my mentor said, Chris, quit chasing wild asparagus. <laughs> That's what he said. Anyway, so, so the story that kind of woke me up, and, and and I got clear when my wife's purse threw over my was thrown over my head i was like dude wake your ass up and so you know but then her and i got clear and we set a unifying goal as a couple which was you know the best goal we've ever set which you know back then we were totally broke we're like we, we got to get a hundred thousand dollars saved to make sure we never go back into debt um and that was unbelievable because we were like okay well i'd set these goals before but it was all this left brain stuff but in and Steve Siebold's work of studying world-class people, like high performers know that goal setting is an, it's emotional, mm. it's emotional. And so we're like, why do we care about saving a hundred thousand dollars? And she said, why? I'm like, I don't want to fight with you again around money. Um, the fact that you're so freaking stressed out that it's physically impacting you. No. Um, when I connected the prices that other people were paying for me, wanting to stay a dumbass. Um, that was painful, not seeing my kids painful. And so we collected lots of compelling emotional reasons about why we wanted to do it. So, and then we got focused and we rocked it and then we started creating momentum and then we started knocking off these, you know, pretty crazy goals. Um, and then we just got busy just like everybody else. Right? You ask people today, how are you? Like, oh, John, I'm so busy. <laughs> so busy. Uh, so busy. Um, you know, and one of my uh one of my one of my one of my mentors, uh Ed, actually Ed Milet, he uh we were having a conversation before he blew up and became famous and and we hadn't talked in months. And I'm like, why haven't we talked? And he's like, Oh, dude, I've just been so busy. And he's like, God, that's lame. He's like, that's such a lame excuse. He's like, let's not say that anymore. So that was, I don't know, 15 years ago. It's the last time I said I'm busy because you're also sending a message out. Don't send me any more blessings because I can't handle it. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. A anyway, but so so we, we started rocking and then my wife and I got invited to this kind of elite conference in New York at Christmas time. And we're in a, we're in a, uh, this ballroom with like the top 50 up and coming people. And, you know, Ed was there and there was like the, the, the four or five like legends in my company, like just unbelievable people. And we were spending four hours on the, how to do, how to do our business. And one of the guys that had come in two years after me and had quadrupled anything I had ever done. He was kind of late to the meeting and he, he came in, two hours into it. So he didn't really know what was going on, but he's just watching us, John. And he's just like, he interrupted the meeting. So he's late. And then he interrupted four legends in my company. 
And he's like, what are you guys talking about? What is this? And they're like, well, we're talking about our systems and how we do things. And he's like, this stuff's not important. He's like, the reason I kick all your asses is because since the day I've been here, you could ask me, what do I want? Where am I going? Why do I want it? And I can spit it out in under 90 seconds. I'm super clear. You're not. So you jack around with this crap. And I will continue to kick your ass until you get clear. <laughs> and he just he just crossed over 10 million of annual income. This guy. He's a pretty average and ordinary guy. Yeah. And and I just I turned to Marlo. I'm like, done with hearing that. So what did we do? We scheduled it. And then we sat down that night and I'm like, what do we want? What do we want? Well, we want this financial freedom thing. And what does it look like? And how do we measure it? And why do we, why does it matter? And so, so my point, John, is if people are hearing this and like, I don't know what I want and they can't spit it out in 90 seconds and why they're not clear. So put time in your schedule, grab a pad of paper and sit your butt down and stay there until you get clear. And then you got to look at it every single day. Anyway, so I got some cool cool techniques in the book that will give people some insight on that. Yeah. No, I like the way that works because I think a lot of people that I coach it, myself in general, people I know in general that I'm not coaching, I think most of us have been programmed just to kind of follow the script, put our nose to the grindstone and just, you know, put all our energy into a direction, just keep doing good work, doing good work. But very rarely do we step outside of that and really assess it. So many people think hard work is just pushing as hard as you can, but they're not stepping back, looking at the progress they've made, the steps that they're taking, the tools they have, the resources they can find to refine it, to move forward. So I think it's important for people to hear that, that you really have to sit down like it's it's homework for your life. It's homework for your well-being. It's homework for your family to sit down and get clear, really clear where you can write it down. And again, very importantly, regurgitate it in like, you know, 60, 90 seconds that you're that clear, that you know what you're about, that you know what your value is, that you know what it is you want to achieve. I think that's so important. Again, seems so simplistic, but I think we're just programmed to just, again, blindly just work as hard as we can without really refining what we're working towards and what we want for ourselves. Yeah, well, that, that was, you know, so my, my coach, I mean, he, he taught me he, and I had to like give him my calendar for the next week, every hour blocked out. And it was like, it was like 88 hours of work, like blocked. Like, it's just like, you know, I got I to grind it out, rah, you know, all that whole hero's journey BS. And, and, and he, he was like, he's like, are you, are you? dumb i'm like what do you mean he's like what does it take you 88 hours to do he's like where's golf where's time with your wife like where what's going like dude you it's ridiculous and i was so burned out i didn't even know it dude and and so you know so we were able to take our income up five times and we shaved you know 35 hours off the schedule and and it was, it was just, I, I didn't, yeah, I mean, I was running a hundred miles an hour in the opposite direction. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't, I didn't know any of that stuff. And so, 
you know, I think one of the chapters in my book book is work hard, but don't make hard work of it. Mm. Right. Work hard, yeah. but don't make hard work of it. I was just, I had this, like, I gotta, I gotta grind it out. And yeah. anyway, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous, especially on social media. I'm grinding it. And, you know, another chapter of my book is called approval addiction, right? Like it's, Oh yeah. All these, you know, I'm a recovering approval addict, but, but it was just, you know, the clarity and it was like, you know, and then not running that marathon with a 20 pound bowling ball around my ankle is, is, uh, is freeing. Chris, before, when you mentioned the idea of people responding that I'm busy, um, you said you had spoken to your friend and they said, you know, I'm busy. And then they realized, you know, what a farce that can be. So what did it look like when you went from saying I'm busy or trying to look busy or looking for that approval? Was it just kind of a reprioritization of what's important and then just kind of putting the fluff and the fat to the side where you don't say that you're busy all the time because now you've prioritized and have that clarity? Is that what that's all about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it's the, 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 you know, once again, the, the clarity of aim and, and you know, the, the capacity to know why you're doing it. And then, I mean, I, th I think it's, it's, it's a few things. It's, you know, my, one of my major goals was to create a peaceful mind. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you ever get there. I think it's an infinite game, but just quieting my mind and quieting the chatter in my mind and peaceful mind e equals a peaceful life. Right. And so not, not that I don't have issues and things and stuff that comes yeah, yeah, up of course, that, I have, of course. That, I to, that I have to deal with, but you know, it's, it's not this cortisol induced, you know, stress ball, uh, that was once my life. And so part of that morning routine and going to the mental gym and just getting myself quiet and working on a quiet mind. And I give lots of, you know, t t techniques and references on how to do that. But working on that every single day combined with the clarity of where you're going. And then um, one of my chapters is called Get It Together. And it's, you know, get your shit together, which means, you know, plan and control what you can control. And you're like a football coach on the sideline of a game with your game plan. Um, does my game plan always execute to what I expect? Not really. But... Yeah, but but the game plan's out of my mind. It's on a pad of paper, and then I, I follow and execute my plan. So the combination of working on having a peaceful mind with clarity and then having your shit together creates great results. Chris, I forgot to ask you before. I always ask this of, um, of my guests. In looking back at your childhood and then looking to now, does it make sense that this is where you ended up? This is what you ended up doing. This is the message that you ended up that you ended up sharing with people. No, no? not at all. Not at Why all. Why do you say that? Um, I mean, because I, I, I just, you know, I like I, that only because I don't think I've ever heard somebody say no, which isn't a problem at all. Yeah, I'm just interested to hear your take on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely had a. You know, I mean, like I said, my parents did the best they could, but there was very much uh, us Feltons aren't really meant to be successful. You know, like we didn't, you know, we we weren't, we're not born into that. You know, we're not supposed to have wealth. Um, it's It was kind of a life's a bitch and then you die, 
you know, mentality a little bit. I mean, they're great parents. They, you know, it was, it was a middle-class upbringing. You know, it's not like I was sleeping in a gutter or any of that. I mean, you know, I, I never, I've never missed a meal, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the, Oh, woe is me. But, but the messaging was, yeah, we're not really probably meant to be successful. Um, so, you know, there, there was definitely a, a not enough, not good enough, less than underpinning. Um, so, you know, I had belief challenges on that. And, uh, um, but, you know, and my, my buddy, you know, Steve, I mean, that, that most people that have become higher performers, I mean, they, they had the same, pretty much the same, you know, upbringing. And it, but at some point they kind of called bullshit on all of it. Mm. Right. And just said it's BS. And, and, you know, the, the thing I did have in me is, is it, is a desire to be better for sure. So I appreciate that, that, that. I, that always combined. I got my dad's work ethic too. So I, uh, as long as I did all I could do, it's uh, it's one of my favorite quotes from uh, Art Williams. All you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. Mm. And uh, you can't do more than all you can do. So as long as I feel like I'm doing all I can do, then uh, there's a lot of peace to that. So I, I at least had that going for me, even though, yeah. I, was run, even though I was running around with a 20-pound bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I really came into that idea or really accepted it when I read um, The Four Agreements where like the fourth agreement I believe is just do the best that you can. And it sounds like such simple advice, but it's amazing how much in life we may bitch about something not working out or not going our way. And meanwhile, we didn't even put in 50%, 75% of the effort that we would have needed to achieve it. You know? So I, I think I've gotten to that point in my life where it's like, if something doesn't work out as, as long as I know that I put in what I could into it, for me, it just means it wasn't meant for me. And it just means continue experimenting with different things, but I need to make sure that I put in what I can. So I, I love that you reference that because again, simple advice, but the example you give and, and why that why that means so much is so important. Yeah. Well, yeah, my 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 21 year old, he's just he's awesome, dude. You know, I mean my uh, my ex, she's a world class, world class mom. And uh he 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 had a big job interview. Uh, when he was 19 and it was with Google and uh, it was for an internship and he, he had about a month to prepare. And I just said, I said, Caden, do all you can do. And if, if you get it, great. If you don't, you still want it. You might be a little disappointed, but you're going to know that you did all you could do. And so about three days out, he texted me and he's like, dad, I've done all I could do. I'm like, that's it, bud. Yeah. So Absolutely. He's like, I did, and, and he got it and it, it really launched his, his career at a you know, super young age as a software engineer. And but he's just got that mentality of, you know, he, he does all he can do. He makes mistakes. He screws up just like the yeah, rest of, of course. us. But, but, but he's, but that piece of, you know, cause my biggest fear, it's not fear of failure. It's getting to the end of my life and having regrets that I did mm. not do all I could do. Right. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a chapter in my book called quit holding yourself back. That's huge. That's back. huge. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned that I'm an introvert and people like, you know, bullshit. You're, you're out here 
on video, you love speaking, you love presenting, you love doing all this stuff. Like you're not an introvert. I'm like, listen, I get fired up about talking about this stuff. And that's why I'm out here doing it. Took a chance putting out this podcast. I didn't know anything about audio, visual, any of that stuff. But the thing is, I may at first, I may, maybe I still do look like a fool, but any embarrassment I may have from anybody watching or listening would pale in comparison to the regret that I would feel for the rest of my life knowing that I didn't try. So I have a deep appreciation where I'm my, my own worst enemy. You know, you still want to make sure, obviously, that you impress other people, that they see your value, that you can draw in business from whoever your network is. But at the very end, I'm the one that has to I'm the last face I see before I go to bed. The first one I see in the morning. What am I doing? What am I contributing? Am, am I putting all that I can into it? So you've mentioned all these great nuggets throughout this conversation. And one of them that keeps coming around is how you talk about how you're successful You've written this book, this great book. You've done this great work. You're in this 1% of this you know, category of, of performers. But at the same time, you have your own shit that you deal with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you called that. I love that from the very get go. I think you said I'm a miracle in a mess. Yeah. Like they are on that, that same coin, two sides that I can be present. But one exists because of the other. You know what I mean? They're they're in balance. And as long as you keep moving forward with the best um, intention and the best work, you'll be okay. I mean, you'll you'll figure it out as you go, and and you'll move in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it's just you know, and 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 true fulfillment only comes from contribution to others and growing yourself. That's it. And yeah. you know, and, and I think I, I mentioned that. You know, forever in in the book multiple times and there's a chapter in there called don't retreat you know there's this thing where people are like well i'm going to get to some magical place in the future where i need to pull back and retreat and you know chill and uh, i'm not saying don't have fun i have a lot of fun right and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you got to have fun but but there's no there's no there's no happiness or fulfillment in chilling mm. and it's one of the the greatest lies that you know, we're told, um, and, and I've watched it in my company. I've watched guys just hit absolute home runs and then they pull back and they stop doing the things that got them there and they stop growing. Yeah. And if you're not intentional about growing, um, there, there's no definition of comfort. Right. And, and I, I started in the book, man, a life spent seeking comfort results in an entirely uncomfortable existence. Yeah. That complacency. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Shore. It's one of my favorite quotes. So you got to be intentional about growing and you got to be intentional about being, bringing contribution to others. And uh, it's one of my favorite quotes, too, is there's no happy ending to an unhappy journey. So growth and contribution to others, man, that's that's where the juice of life is. I love that. That's amazing. Chris, in writing this, what lessons did you learn in writing this book? I mean, aside, some authors mentioned the writing process, how they refine that. But did this change or tweak anything in your messaging or what you thought you were going to write as you got into it and wrote it? Did anything really little beliefs change or did you see things in new ways? Just kind of overall, you don't have to go into every little one if there are a lot. But what 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 changed in the way you viewed the work? or the message of your work as you were writing the book? Um, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, as, as far as just, if there's anybody's listening that wants to be an author, 
um, you know, my, my mentor, Steve, he was like, we got to slow down. You got, you, you got to bleed this thing out. Like you have to grind on every word, so to speak. Um, and, you know, because I was thinking about, well, yeah, I mean, I got like 500 Instagram posts, like I'm going to hire a ghostwriter and they can just kind of throw that stuff out. He's like, no, that's stupid. Like <laughs> you, like you need to write it. And, and, and actually the first thing he had me do, John, is he had me write my personal history. I recommend everybody do that. Yeah. So do I. Right. Whether yeah. you write a book or not. And I, I made a, a, a social media post uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm going to post on LinkedIn today where it's like the, the greatest gift of the book is the wisdom that my kids get now from me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of wisdom goes to the grave. So somebody should just write their personal history just to make sure that the next generation picks up on their on their wisdom. Because I don't want them to repeat my mistakes. So so I think that you need to write it. <clears throat> you should write a personal history first. And what happens is like as I was writing my personal history and as you know, you get in the flow. Meaningful things came up in my life that I had totally forgot about and became really shifting points of my life. So if you're going to do it, whatever you're going to write, I think it's, especially if it's a personal development book, you need to start with your personal history. And I, I think just, you know, slowing down and, you know, cranking out 15, 20 to 30 minutes every single day and just enjoying the process. And just asking, you know, spirit to speak through me as I wrote that <clears throat> has been really powerful. Because I go back and read some of the stuff that I wrote. I'm like, God dang, man, where'd that come from? Right? Like, <laughs> who the hell like, wrote this? Who wrote that? Well, you know, yeah. I, invite, I invited spirit in to, you know, guide me in that process. So those are those are some things. I mean, the, the marketing of the book and the pushing it out and doing a launch event and, you know, uh, promoting it. Yeah, I think that's a an entirely different beast. Entirely different beast. And I had to go back and actually use my book on me <laughs> to make sure that I got out of my own way because my approval addiction was flying. My judgment was flying. All the stuff I talk about in the book. Yeah. I, uh, I had to use my own book on myself. <laughs> and I think that it's a conversation there's something that's come up in conversation in this podcast where, you know, just because you're a coach, myself included, doesn't mean you have your shit together all the time. It, to me, it just means that I, for myself, speaking for myself, I know how curious I am. So I know how inquisitive I am. Um, so that's what makes me a good coach. But it doesn't mean, you know, like you said, your, your miracle and your mess. Um, but I think it's important for people to note that, yeah, again, a great point that you've just made is that you had to use your book on yourself because sometimes you slip but as long as you have that awareness that that slipping is taking place and you can gain that traction again i mean you'll be in good shape yep yep chris uh so generally even if somebody believes that this doesn't apply to them or um they may be in whatever industry that's not tied to financial services or anything like that how would you how would you what message would you share to tie someone in to see that this book is applicable to their life? What kind of message, what kind of blurb would you give them to kind of draw them in to read it? 
Um, well, that's a good question, man. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you're not interested in getting better, then don't get my book, right? Like, yeah, yeah. like, like if you're addicted to being comfortable, then my book is not not for you. Um, but but if you're you know, if, if you're, if you're wanting to, I mean, you know, cause the, the subtitle of the book is, you know, how to get out of your own way and level up your life. Um, but if you, if you want to level up your life, then, you know, I, I think there's some, some good things in there that, uh, I mean, I, I really think it's a, it's a handbook on, um, I don't want to say self mastery cause I don't think I've mastered myself, yeah. right. But, but it is, it is, I think it's the ultimate guide on, you know, teaching people how to, you know, how, how did I stop worrying? Um, that's probably worth it right there. Um, awesome. You know, approval addiction. Um, how did I forgive my ex-wife? Uh, there's, there's some good things in there that can uh, make an impact for people, even if it's just one thing. I appreciate that. And I know this is a recent publication, but then what do you think you want to do for your next writing or your next book? What do you think in the future you want to get to? Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't, uh, you know, the, the, the beautiful part about this book is, uh, I, I didn't lose any enthusiasm for it. Uh, it took about 16 months from start to, you know, launch. Uh, I lost zero enthusiasm for it. It was, uh, God put it on my heart and, you know, I, I, you know, I still love talking about it. This is not a, a boring conversation for me because I know it's impactful. Um, I know we created something that's different. So, uh, you know, so right now it's, it's, uh, you know, getting on stages and, and delivering the message. And uh, I'm excited about the workshop because that'll be a, a very deep dive into the book and some things that I didn't have space to cover in the book that I'm going to release to help people get unstuck. So I'm not thinking too far into the future. And once again, you know, I had a mentor that wrote a book and, you know, I sold 4 million books and uh, made 50 million in speaking fees off of, uh, off one con one book. Right. So yeah, uh, I think there's a forever content there and tens of millions of people need it. And I want to get to as many of them as I can before I depart this planet. Yeah. No. And this, this conversation hasn't been boring by any stretch of the imagination for me. I'm just always curious what might be in somebody's future, but it wasn't, it wasn't meant to rush you through this one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned the workshop at this point in wrapping up, is there anything else you want to mention about what you're up to these days or what you have coming up? Maybe they mentioned the workshop or anything else that you want to share with listeners and, and people watching this. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm looking to, uh, you know, like I said, I've, I've done, uh, I mean, thousands and thousands of these talks inside of a entrepreneurial platform for years. And so now I'm, I'm stepping out, you know, as, as Chris felt an author speaker. So, you know, I'm just, I'm looking for opportunities for people that, uh, you know, this resonates with, they can reach out to me and, uh, I just help advance it. So, uh, you know, the workshop and, uh, keynotes and, that's that's it so whoever this resonates with they can uh, hopefully contact me and we can have a further conversation absolutely chris thank you for your time today yes sir uh and chris's book is think and grow you how to get out of your own way and level up your life um yeah, there were just so many nuggets. I loved all the quotes that you laid out throughout uh, this. I love the honesty that you shared about 
um, miracle versus mess. I think it's very important to see that part of people. So thank you for all that honesty. Yeah, man. Always. Thanks for having me. Now, if there's anything I might have missed, we're limited on time. There's a lot to cover. Please let me know. I'll reach out to Chris and see how much more I can pick his brain on any questions that I may get. But in the meantime, thank you for watching and listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.